Well, sex. Uh, what is good sex? Uh, that's the topic we're rethinking tonight. Uh, and I actually think we need to rethink sex, don't we? Uh, it seems to me that as you look out in the world, there's a lot of confusion about sex. Uh, when you talk to some people in conversation, uh, you might find some people get really self-conscious about the topic. It can be a bit of a taboo topic uh, about sex. You talk to some people and they just tell you absolutely every single detail about their life. Uh, but when you look at culture, when you look at our world, uh, you see a few different things. Firstly, I think you see that, that sex is often used to sell us stuff, isn't it? You know, whether it's Miley Cyrus riding on a wrecking ball, uh, whether it's the guy in the Calvin Klein undies, uh, or the, you know, the lady in the shower selling us the latest shampoo. Uh, there's all sorts of ways that sex is used to sell us stuff. Marketing agencies have caught on to this. They're very good at it. You know, you get a physically attractive person, you remove some of the outer layers of clothing, and hopefully that will sell things. Uh, sex is often used to sell stuff. That's one way it's used. Another way it's used uh, is it's actually... We can use sex to get stuff, to buy stuff. We can use it to sell stuff, but we can actually use it to buy stuff, can't we? I mean, some people might use sex in order to buy a promotion at work. Some people might use sex to buy a relationship with that girl or guy to secure it. Uh, you can use sex to sell things. You can use sex to buy things. Uh, and while we're on the topic, um, you can pretty much go and buy sex if you want. Uh, you can get it on your iPhone, you can download it and watch it, or you can go down to an adult club and just buy it for yourself. Uh, there are so many ways that sex is just available and used in our society. And tonight we actually want to ask the question, well, what is good sex? What is a good way to treat sex? Um, is it actually good that sex is used in all these different types of ways in our world? Is it good that we've got such freedoms with sex? Uh, I read a story recently about a man who'd been thinking about the virtues of visiting a prostitute. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, and he said this. It's a pretty interesting, pretty telling little tale. He says, after all, he reasoned, why do you think men take women out for a meal and a movie? Uh, it's just a long-winded, hypocritical way of paying for sex. At least my way, he said, going down to see a prostitute, you don't have to pay for a meal you don't want to eat. You don't have to pay for a movie you don't want to sit through. Uh, you just get what you really want. That was his view of sex. It's not a very good view of relationships. But it kind of gets to the point, doesn't it, of maybe things that we hear ourselves say when we say, let's go out, let's go and pick up. Oh, that's kind of what he's saying. See, sex today, you see, it's almost become a commodity, hasn't it? Uh, something to be traded, something that we get from other people, something that we try to get in order to make us feel happy. And we use it to fulfil our needs and our wants. And I want to say that if that's all sex is, if sex is just a commodity to be traded, then that guy who thought going to a prostitute, well, he's got a pretty good point, doesn't he? Uh, why waste all the time in restaurants and movie theatres if that's all sex is? Uh, why spend all our money on buying that girl all those drinks if you can just go and get it and buy it for yourself? 
Uh, it says something, I think, about the meaning of the relationships that goes with sex. Uh, there's an author, you might have heard of her, her name's Naomi Wolf. Uh, she's a feminist uh, author, she lives in Washington, and she wrote this in the Washington Post. Uh, she says how it's actually not just men who have been drawn into this way of viewing sex and using it. Uh, she writes this, she says, We've raised a generation of young women who don't understand sexual ethics, like don't sleep with a married man, uh, don't embarrass people with whom you've had consensual sexual relationships. They don't see sex as sacred or even important anymore. That's been lost. Sex has been commodified and drained of its deeper meaning. It's an interesting quote, isn't it? I mean, this is Naomi Wolf, the kind of prominent progressive American feminist saying this. This isn't some kind of conservative evangelical Christian who's got a problem with life. Like, this is, this is Naomi Wolf. Uh, she says, the way she looks at the world, she says, we just don't value it that highly. We don't hold sex as sacred anymore. No, instead, so often, it's just used for our own gain, and we disrespect any sacred boundaries that it may have once had. And the question that you've got to ask, I think, is, well, is that good? Uh, so often this way of using sex as a commodity it just results in tragic consequences. Now, there might be fleeting highs in the moment, but often it results in broken relationships, in STDs, in abuse, and sometimes even in unwanted children. And now, you know, you might be thinking, well, Steve, you're a Christian. I know what you're going to say you're going to say that we should go back to those ultra-conservative days, you know, where people have to wear long dresses that, you know, not even a piece of skin can be seen. Uh, maybe we should go back to those days where we don't even mention the word sex. Uh, maybe that's what you think I'm going to say tonight as we look at this topic. Perhaps that's actually what you think the Christian take on sex might be, that it shouldn't be mentioned because, you know, maybe God doesn't really like sex. Uh, well, if that's you tonight, uh, can I say that you're actually in for a bit of a surprise. I uh, see when you open up the Bible, uh, what you see is that God isn't self-conscious about sex at all. Now, he's not afraid to mention sex. God actually loves and he celebrates sex. Uh, in the very first book of the Bible, uh, you read that it was God who invented sex. Uh, he chose to create it in the first place. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it tells us that God created humans as male and female with all the physical difference that that entails. God created us in that way and he looked at these first two people who he'd created and he said, that is good. It's good. See, God made us that way. God made us in order that we could have sex. He put the first people, Adam and Eve, in that garden and, and he pretty much told them, you know, lay down and go for it, you know. First command, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, what we see in Genesis 1 is actually a God who creates and encourages sex. Uh, later on in the Bible, uh, there's a whole book dedicated just to sexual expression. It's called the Song of Solomon. 
uh, where this guy Solomon just sings over and over about the beauty of having sex with his spouse. Uh, it's a celebration of erotic love. And I've got to tell you that when you kind of understand what the symbols mean, it can really make you blush. He talks about pomegranates, he talks about clusters of grapes, and I can tell you he's not talking about fruit. He's talking about body parts. Solomon summarises his message at one point uh, by saying, Eat and drink, my friends. Drink your fill, you lovers. And again, he's not talking about food. Uh, He's saying to these two lovers, have sex till they're satisfied. Obviously, some people find this amusing, but this is God's word, right? This is written for us in the Bible. This book that some people say, well, you know, it's just this book of rules and God's kind of a harsh taskmaster. No, when you actually open up the Bible, it sounds to me that we have a God who encourages sex. We have a God who created it. A God who celebrates it in its right expression. Uh, it's worth noticing here, uh, particularly as you read through that book of Song of Solomon, uh, that God actually, he didn't just create sex for having babies. Now you can read right through that whole book of Song of Solomon and there's not one mention of children or babies or pregnancy that doesn't come up. Song of Solomon is actually written, you see, just to celebrate this kind of intimate sexual pleasure that goes on. Uh, It's about the wonder of sex between a man and a wife. And that is what God says is good sex. But maybe you hear that, uh, maybe you hear that and you think, well, sex just in marriage, just between a man and a wife, maybe you hear that and you think, well, that's pretty restrictive, isn't it? Uh, Why is God so restrictive? If God really loved us, wouldn't he just, you know, say we could do whatever we want? Uh, why does God restrict sex just to marriage? Uh, well, I want to say that we all actually restrict sex in some ways, don't we? Uh, no matter how liberal or progressive our views might be, uh, we, we would all draw the line somewhere. Uh, very few of us would, would be okay with saying that sex with children is okay. I think all of us would draw the line before we get there. Uh, very few of us would, would be okay with adults having sex with adults who are married. So we all draw a line somewhere, don't we? We would all make restrictions. The question is, how do we know if we've drawn the, right, the lines in the right places? How do we know if our views on sex, if our limitations are actually the right ones? Uh, should we just kind of lax it right back and say, you know, you can have sex with whoever and whenever you want? <coughs> or do we tighten it right up and say, well, you know, you can only have sex for the sake of, giving, of having children? Uh, where do we draw the lines? How would we know, actually, if our views are the best for people as a whole or if they're just the product of our culture? I was a Christian. Uh, I want to tell you that the Christian view of sex... Uh, the Christian view of good sex uh, is what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, we're going to hear what the creator of sex uh, says is the best way to use it. Uh, if you've ever had sex, uh, you would know that sex is extremely powerful and it's extremely pleasurable. 
It powerfully connects you, <coughs> excuse me, to, to another person. You can't actually have sex without it drawing you towards someone in a really powerfully, emotionally connecting way. And God knows this. Uh, God actually made it that way for a reason. Uh, that's why he says in Song of Solomon, he says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, until it's in its right place. See, like other powerful things, sex actually needs to be used in the right way. Otherwise, it can easily be used in destructive ways. God in his goodness doesn't give us this powerful gift without giving us good and loving guidelines on how to use it. So for a start, uh, what we see is that God carefully created the context in which sex can be used, in which it can be appreciated and enjoyed. He created marriage. He created the place where a man and a woman are united physically, spiritually and emotionally. Uh, God's maths on marriage are kind of strange but beautiful because when God talks about marriage in the Bible, he says one plus one equals one. Uh, in Genesis 2, in verse 24, he says, A man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Jesus actually quoted this verse uh, when he said, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. So the right place for sex, God says, is in marriage. One man, one woman, in lifelong commitment to one another. Uh, This marriage ideal was created by God in the very beginning, and it was reaffirmed by Jesus. And this is a place that God actually says sex can be enjoyed to the maximum. Uh, The reason for that is because sex actually does more than just give us pleasure. Uh, See, when two people have sex, uh, there are chemicals released in our brains that contribute to the powerfulness of the pleasure. And these chemicals actually strengthen the relationship that we're in. Uh, Two main chemicals are released at orgasm. Uh, The first is dopamine, uh, which creates us crave that good feeling again. Uh, The second is oxytocin, uh, sometimes called the bonding chemical because it bonds us to the person or the source of where the pleasure comes from. Uh, This is actually why some people can get addicted to pornography, uh, because they get that dopamine high, but then they associate it with the woman on the internet. Uh, People have been known to go and buy all the videos of one particular porn star, uh, because they've fallen in love, they've bonded with that person. So God created sex in a powerful and wonderful bonding agent, and actually makes us fall in love. Uh, Fisher and Brown in the Royal Society Bulletin in 2006, uh, they write this, they say, This falling in love phenomenon is associated with a spray of the chemical dopamine from areas in the brain associated with reward and motivation. Other chemical changes include an increase in neuropinephrine and a decrease in serotonin. As dopamine levels increase... It leads to the lover's high of focused attention on the loved one, rearrangement of priorities, and increased energy. Uh, Neuropinephrine increase brings on sweating and a pounding heart, emotional dependence, and elevated sexual desire. The drop in serotonin causes mini-obsessive-compulsive state with feelings of sexual possessiveness. 
Compulsive thinking about him or her and a craving for emotional union with this one person. This is Fisher and Brown writing in the Royal Society Borden, 2006. See, when we have sex, we actually bond with that person. We actually crave the source of the pleasure, that other person. Uh, We want to have that sexual union again because in many ways we're joined to them. That's the way God deliberately designed sex, to deepen the oneness of marriage. I see the more you have sex with one person, the more you actually have those brain-bonding chemicals at work to bond you together. That's why Jesus actually says the two become one. Uh, And most interestingly, uh, this has been proved and documented scientifically. Uh, In June 2012, uh, the Journal of Neuroscience Group, uh, they did a study And it actually confirmed that the more men had sex uh, in monogamous marriage with with their one partner, actually the less they were inclined uh, towards the sexual advances of a mistress. So they set up this whole study. Uh, They said, all these men just have lots of sex with your wife, and then they got a mistress to come in. And the, the guys who had more sex in monogamous marriage were less inclined towards temptation in that way, towards a mistress. See, the brain chemicals that we have in our bodies, they actually promote monogamous relationships. Now, one man, one woman for life. Uh, And this is why, this is why we can't just use sex as a commodity. Uh, Because the other thing about these brain chemicals is that if we go from one partner to another partner to another partner, if we just have sex with whoever and whenever, then we actually end up uh, not being able to stick, so to speak, with anyone, not being able to bond. Uh, in an article uh, by Dr. John Diggs and Eric Keriak, uh, they wrote this. Uh, people who have misused their sexual faculty and become bonded to multiple persons will diminish the power of oxytocin to maintain a permanent bond with an individual. Uh, in more basic terms, uh, sharing the gift of sex I think it's probably an illustration, but it's a little bit like putting a really strong piece of tape on your arm. Uh, The first time you put the tape on your arm, it really hurts to remove it. Uh, You shift the tape to another person's arm, and the bond will still work, uh, but it'll be easier to remove it. Each time this is done, uh, part of each person remains with the tape, and soon it's quite easy to remove because the residue from various arms interferes with the tape's ability to stick. That's how it works with relationships. Our previous sexual experiences, they actually stay with us. They interfere with our ability to bond in new ones. See, God, when he designed sex, he made it to stick. (coughs) And if you've ever had sex with someone, you'd know this. It bonds you to the other person. Uh, in research, in neurochemistry. And I think also our experience shows us that if we have many sexual partners, it actually lessens our ability to bond. Our sexual partners become more like strangers than soulmates. Uh, We start to feel less and less for the people we're having sex with, if that's the way we use sex. Our longing for intimacy continues. We still chase it. But our satisfaction in those new desire, in, in those new relationships, 
sadly becomes quickly diminished. Uh, the novelist Josephine Hart, uh, she writes this, she says, the idea today is that sleeping around doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not taking any religious point here, Josephine Hart says. I'm just saying that if you sleep with enough people, you're pretty much on the way to guaranteeing that you, you'll not recognise profound erotic love when it comes to you. You pay a price for it. I'm not saying it's a moral price or that it's a moral issue, but you pay a psychological price and it might just, and you might just miss it when it happens. So we might be tempted to think, yeah, I'll just enjoy sex now. I'll have fun now and I'll settle down later. But if we use sex in that way, then our very deepest desires for closeness and fulfilment well, they may well remain unfulfilled. See, the Christian view is that good sex is sex within marriage. Uh, it might seem incredibly narrow to some people, but I would be in the wrong if I said that the biblical Christian view was anything else. Now, that's what the Bible clearly says. It's impossible to dismiss Jesus' words when he affirms sex in the place of monogamous, monogamous marriage. <coughs> Uh, Jesus wasn't just being small-minded and culturally naive. Now, actually, when you get to know Jesus in the Bible, when you read through the Gospels, you actually see that Jesus was a guy who loved people. Uh, Jesus loved people in, in such a way that people who didn't even agree with him, they still kind of liked him because he was that kind of guy. And I think that, that we actually need to hear Jesus' words, not as words of harsh restriction but as words of loving care. Uh, his words about sex within marriage, they're actually spoken to protect us. How uh, They were spoken for our good. I uh, See, when we remove sex from the way God created it, from outside of God's boundaries, when we try to manage it our own way, whether it's sex outside of marriage, whether it's having many partners, whether it's with pornography, there are serious repercussions. And ultimately, sex doesn't satisfy in that kind of use. I showed this card in yesterday. I thought I'd show it again tonight. Um, so I wonder when you've ever heard anyone say this. Say, I finally did it. I had a one-night stand with the hottest woman I've ever seen in my life, and now I feel totally fulfilled, and I will no longer pursue joy through hedonism. Well, that just doesn't happen, does it? Uh, people just don't say things like that. Now, if you're pursuing satisfaction through sex, through multiple partners, ultimately it just doesn't satisfy. If you're sleeping around, if you're looking at porn, it just doesn't satisfy your longings, does it? People just don't say that. G.K. Chesterton, a uh, Christian author from the last century, he said this, he said, don't take a fence down until you know why it was put up. It seems to me that in our current culture, uh, we've taken pretty much all the fences down about sex. Uh, most of the limits have been removed. And I think we've got to ask the question, where has it really got us? Now, has our sexual freedom really resulted in contentment? See, friends, what I want, to, what I want us to see tonight is that God didn't set boundaries on sex in order to ruin our pleasure. No, just kind of like, imagine 
you know, a shallow trickle of water spread out over a vast distance. But when you tighten up the boundaries, what does it become? It becomes a raging torrent of river. Uh, that's kind of like God's boundaries with sex. Uh, they actually deepen and intensify the pleasure. See, there's a very clear description in the Bible about what good sex is. It comes in 1 Corinthians and chapter 7. Uh, it's a description of sex within these safe boundaries of marriage. And this is what it says. It says the husband... Oh, it didn't come up. That's weird. It's on your sheet, I think. Is it on your sheet? Yeah. Yeah. It says the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So what do these verses say? Well, they say that God's design for good sex is that each partner who are fully committed to each other in marriage, each partner is to give themselves fully to the other person. Now, this is not one person making demands of the other so that they get pleasure. Now, the sexual ethic that God gives us, it's not about rights. It's not one person saying in marriage, you owe me, I'm going to take that for myself. No, it's not take, it's give. This is loving sex, you see. That's the sex that God wants. This is both partners saying, here I am. I'm here for you. How can I please you? That's not take, it's give. That's what God calls people to. See, the last thing in the world that God wants is for a husband to say to the wife, that's mine, give it to me. God hates that kind of thing. Now what God wants is for both wife and husband to say unashamedly to each other, this is yours. It's yours alone. I give it to you. And friends, that is God's design for sex. It's not tap on the shoulder at 2am in the morning saying, how about it, sweetheart? No, this is thought and care. This is dinner and flowers. This is what's best for my partner. How can I please them? And when both people do that, That is amazing. This is the mutual passion that Song of Songs celebrates. Uh, This is a selfless self-giving. This is the kind of sex, loving sex, that I think our world can only dream of. You know, if you you believe the Cleos, the Cosmos, um, all those movies and magazines, then sex and marriage, well, it's all about what might satisfy you, isn't it? It's all very self-focused. It's about what you can get rather than what you can give. It's about lust rather rather than love. But friends, in the end, that simply doesn't work. I just asked someone like Marilyn Monroe, one of the great sex idols of the 20th century. She is quoted... I didn't come up again. That's okay. She's quoted as saying this. She said, I've never liked sex. I don't think I ever will. It just seems the opposite of love. That's Marilyn Monroe. Uh, See, when you take sex out of its designed use, uh, when it becomes all about take rather than give, then that's not love. If it's all about casual rather than commitment, 
then that's not love. If it's fleeting rather than faithful, then that's not love. But you see, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, Not if it's done God's way. Like God's way, you see, it's an expression of love between two people. It's a love that gives rather than takes. Essentially, that's what love is, isn't it? A love that asks in sex, what is best for you, instead of what is best for me? And friends, if you've ever been taken advantage of sexually, if you've ever been hurt by sex in that kind of way, then you would know that that kind of sex is not love. Uh, That's not God's design. God hates that kind of sex. Uh, He hates the way our world cheapens it and how it destroys people's lives, their confidence. He hates people's selfishness in that way. See, there is actually a particular type of sex that God is for. Uh, God is for loving sex in marriage, where male and female are committed to loving each other, to giving to each other, to satisfying each other with all their lives, not just their sex, but with everything. And when that happens, it is beautiful, because that is God's design. And now I just want to say, to finish up, that if you're sitting there and you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, I've kind of stuffed up. Um, I've used sex differently to God's plan. If you're sitting there thinking that and you're wondering, well, I wonder what God thinks of me. If that's you, then let me tell you two quick things to finish up. Uh, The first thing is that you're not alone. You're not alone in this area. Uh, Because when it comes to sexual purity, there's actually no one here who can throw the first stone. Because we've all fallen short in this area, haven't we? Uh, Jesus, he kind of ups the ante when he says this. It's gone. Uh, Jesus ups the ante when he says, um, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery in his heart. See, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If lust is a sexual sin, then I'm falling just as short as you are in this area. Secondly, you might feel that maybe God won't accept you for the things that you've done in the past. But can I tell you this? You never, you never measure God's love for you by the way you feel. Now you measure God's love for you by what he did for you when he gave you his son who died on that cross. That's how you measure God's love for you, when Jesus died for you. See, often we can feel that our sexual past, uh, that maybe God might not love us because of the things we've done. But I want you to hear clearly what the Bible says. It's there on your sheet, Romans 5, it says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that cross on which Jesus died 2,000 years ago, it actually settles the question of God's love once and for all. See, when you look at that cross, you actually see someone who loved you so much that he died for you. He went to his own death for you. 
He gave all of himself to you. That is the ultimate expression of self-giving. He loves you actually more than any sexual relationship could ever communicate. So in short, when you look at Jesus, you see someone who loves you to death and wants to be with you forever. Despite the way you might have used sex in the past, Jesus says to you and to me, he says, I forgive you. That's why I died on that cross. He says, I love you. I have the best for you at heart, so will you come to me and will you trust me? That's what Jesus says. He says, will you trust me? Not just with your sex, but with your whole life. See, he died on that cross and he rose from the dead to give us life, to give us good life that starts now and goes for eternity. If we only humble ourselves before him and receive his gift of forgiveness. If you're someone who's never done that tonight, if you've never understood the message of Christianity, can I tell you, that's as simple as what it is. Christianity is not about us doing good things in order to please God. No, it's about admitting our wrong, admitting the things we've done, and saying to God, I know I've stuffed up in these areas. I know there's areas where I fall short. But I want Jesus to take that for me. He died for those things. And I want life with him forever.